0: You know, they say girls just want to have fun. Well, I would tell you, preachers want to have fun too, you know? Sometimes we just want to have fun. And uh, we have been through Easter. We've been through a series on Revelation. And you know what? Revelation is pretty serious. And so in my, in my heart, I feel like, you know what? We need a series that is just fun. We need a series about joy. And I feel strongly about this because I believe so many people need joy and not any kind of joy. I'm talking biblical Christian joy. And there's no better book about joy than the book of Philippians. So I thought, you know what? What if we did a series where we just walk through the book of Philippians? It's only four chapters. We took four weeks and we walked through the book of Philippians. And I want to start today on that a series called Joyful hope. Joyful hope. We all need a little joy strength today. A little something to get us through, to help us as we're walking in this world. And so I just want to offer a biblical definition of joy. And I found a few that I like. This one is from Dr. Paul Walker. And this is what Dr. Paul Walker says about joy. He says, In its biblical sense, joy becomes a spiritual balance between expectations and achievements. It's the ability to approach problems objectively by accepting things as they are and working towards a solution and adjustment. He says, assuming this stance, joy then is a sense, I love this word, in. Imperturbable gladness. Joy is a sense of imperturbable gladness, meaning there's something deep on the inside of me. It's deep on the inside and it's not bothered. It's a gladness that I have, and it's a gladness, he says, that sings when rejected, that praises when you're persecuted, and that stands when you're attacked. Uh, the Bible Project, they give a definition. Of joy, and I liked it too. They say biblical joy is more than a happy feeling. It is a lasting emotion. See, they're saying the same thing. He said imperturbable gladness. They're saying a lasting emotion that comes from the choice to trust that God will fulfill his promises. You see joy and hope are connected. We've been talking about hope for all people this year. And you see joy comes from the hope, the assurance, the confidence that God will fulfill his promises in your life. And we see this so well in the book of Philippians. So let's hop in Philippians chapter one. This is one of those series where it's good just to open your Bible and keep it open uh, because we're going to be reading a lot from it. So, Philippians chapter one, verse one. It says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and the deacons, grace to you and peace from God, our father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you always in every prayer of mine for you all are making my prayer with Here's the first word, with joy. He's making prayer with joy. Why? Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion on the day of Christ. Man, that's a good scripture for you to memorize. He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion on the day of Christ. This is my first point from this text right here. First, I believe you can have joy in the process. Joy in the process. Paul says, God has begun a work in you, Philippians, and if God started the work, then he will complete it. Listen, this is a promise. Whatever God is doing in you, Please don't give up. Please don't quit. Please keep on keeping on, because if God started it, then God is going to finish it. Now, sometimes we start things in our own strength. We run after dreams without, uh, or, or things we want to do without ever consulting God. But listen, if you start something in your strength, you'll have to maintain it in your own strength. If it's just a good idea and it's not a God idea, then God's not obligated to maintain it. Sometimes we just we do our own thing and we ask God to put his rubber stamp on it and approve it and put his blessing. Listen, God's not obligated to maintain what you start, but if God started something, he will maintain it. It reminds me of Psalm 127. It, this, it says, Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city. The watchman stays awake in vain. It is vain that you should rise up early and go late to rest. Can I say amen? It is in the eating of bread for anxious toil, for he gives his beloved sleep. What's the psalmist saying? It's saying, listen, if God's not in it, if the Lord's not in it, you can try all you want in your own strength, but eventually it's going to fail. But you see, Paul had a joy when it came to the Philippians because he says, I know, Philippians, that God started a good work in you. And you can rest and you can know you're living in God's will. How does Paul know that God started the good work in the Philippians? How was he so sure? And I'll tell you why, is because Paul was there at their beginning. How the Philippian church got started is incredible. And it was only a God thing. Go back and read Acts 15 and 16. And here's What you will find, you'll find on Acts 16 that the Apostle Paul was on a second missionary journey with Silas and Timothy. And with all of his heart, Paul is trying to go east. Paul's trying to get to Asia. Paul wants to go preach the gospel in Asia. But not once, but twice, the Holy Spirit stops him. Now that doesn't make any sense to me. Why would the Holy Spirit stop someone from going to preach the gospel? It's like, hello, I'm an apostle. This is what you've called me to do. I'm trying to go preach. But he says, twice the Holy Spirit stopped me. Listen, God orders the steps of a righteous man. He also orders the stops of a righteous man too. Both the steps and stops are of God if you are in Christ. And so Paul wanted to go east, but he wasn't allowed to go east by the Holy Spirit. And he has a dream one night. He has a dream of a guy from Macedonia, and in his dream, (coughs) this man from Macedonia is saying, please come to Macedonia. Please come and preach the gospel to us. He was taking it as the Lord was telling him, I'm not supposed to go east. I'm supposed to go west. I'm supposed to go proclaim the gospel. And he goes west to Macedon, and he comes to a a, a city called Philippi, to whom this book is written to, the Philippians. And so, and Paul as miraculous things happen while he's in Philippi. This is the story of where a young girl is used in divination. She can tell the future, and she's demonized. And if you remember, she follows Paul and and Timothy around, and she's saying, these are the witnesses of the Most High God. These are speakers for the Most High God. I mean, she was right. She was saying the right thing, but eventually Paul got tired of it and he he casts a demon. He got just annoyed one day. He said, demon, come out of that girl, okay? And she gets set free, and her handlers that used her to tell sorcery, that used her to tell the future, get mad at Paul and Silas, because that's how they make money is from this girl. And they take Paul and Silas, and they throw them in jail. And this is the story of Paul and Silas in jail, right? In the midnight hour, and they start Worshiping God and praising God in the midnight hour. And what happens? An earthquake, the chains break loose, and they're able to go free from the jail. I mean, talk about a praise party. Come on, this is awesome. And so, as they they don't leave, though, the Philippian jailer was going to kill himself. And they say, No, 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 don't kill yourself. We're still here, man. We're not going anywhere. And it says that Paul leads the Philippian jailer to Christ and his whole family, and they're baptized. And so, God moved in a mighty way in Paul and Silas in Philippi. Then then there was uh, a lady named Lydia who got saved. Lydia was a lady who heard Paul and Silas and she said, "I, I, I want you to come to my house. They go to Lydia's house. She gets saved. Turns out Lydia's a boss, like a massive boss, like she's rich. It says she was a seller, a merchant of purple cloth, and that she allowed... Uh, Paul and Silas to start a church there at her home, and it was really this woman's hospitality was the key to opening up the gospel uh, as it expanded westward. So when Paul is writing the Philippians and he says, I know that what happened in you was a God thing. It wasn't, uh, y'all didn't have this idea. God had, had this idea. I was trying to go east, but God said, no, go west. And there was nobody, there were no followers of Jesus in Philippi. But yet, miraculously, people got free from demon possession. Angels showed up, broke us out of jail. This church had a supernatural God beginning. And because it started that way, Paul is reminding them, hey, you need to go back and remember how it started. Because if you go back and remember how it started, then it's going to give you joy in the process. And you can know if God started it, he will finish it. I don't know who I'm talking to today, but there's somebody you are watching and you're, you're coming on hard times, you're coming on slow times, maybe in a business. You're walking through some stuff. Go back to the beginning and look. Did God help you start that business? Was it God's idea? Did God tell you to marry that person? Did God tell you to go to that school? If God started it, He will finish it. Just have trust and hope and joy in the process. You see, it can, be, it can be tough when you're in the middle of, the Bible says, if, if the Lord doesn't build the house, it's in vain. Like if you've ever been in a building project, there's always setbacks, right? Case in point, right here at the crossing. We've been in a building project since August of last year. And man, let me tell you about the process of building something. Here's what I'm learning. The project always takes longer than you thought it would. We thought we would be in the new building by Easter Sunday. Well, Easter came and went and we weren't in it, obviously. We thought it would be smooth sailing, right? Point A leads to point B then leads to C. I thought it would just be this linear process. But when when you're on point B and realize that there was some mistakes made in point A, so now you got to go back to point A and then go and then start again so you can get to point B so you can get to C and then everything will line up right. You know? Hey, I got good news we're going, I've got, I've got faith today. The builders who began the work will see it to completion or we ain't going to pay them. (laughs) So no, it will get done. The people who are building it are going to see it done. We're going to be in that building, but right now we're in a process. And so here's what I'm learning to do in the process. I'm learning to celebrate each step, each day in the process, because I know one day, it's going to be done. They've got the blueprint. They've got the incentive to get the job done. So we celebrate in the process. You know what I do? I go, I go and I, sometimes I'll just walk over there and I'll walk in and I'll see something that wasn't there before. You see, you see that piece of decking that wasn't there last week? I rejoice in that piece of decking. You see that beam? That beam wasn't there last week. I rejoice in that beam. Every little thing, every, every time concrete goes down, I'm throwing a party. Every time a piece of roofing goes on, I'm throwing a party. What am I doing? I am praising. I am celebrating. I am having joy and wonder in the process. And here's what I found. The process makes you appreciate the finished product way more. See, if God just gives you the finished product and you never had to walk through the process, you would take everything you had for granted. I've noticed when I, whenever I walk into a building now, I was in a church, a different church this just yesterday, and when I walked in, you know what I started doing? I'm looking up in the ceiling. I'm looking at every beam they got in their ceiling. I'm looking at every light that they got every fixture. Used to, I would never take notice of those things. I didn't care about those things. But since now, I've been through a process. Since now, I've been through building something. I'm noticing things I never would have noticed before because of the process. Listen, you're in a process. You have a promise from God. You're hanging on to it. You thought it would have been over by now. You thought you would have it all by now. But here's the deal. If you had it all by now, if God gave it to you immediately, the chances are you wouldn't be satisfied with it. If you didn't have to walk through a process, you wouldn't be satisfied with it. And the moment you got it, you'd probably be looking for the next thing instead of just being glad in the thing that you have. But one day when it's all said and done, and you look back, and when the building's built, and when the job is done, you're going to look back and you're going to be satisfied and you're going to say, Surely, goodness and mercy have been following me All through this process, all my life, God has been faithful. The one who started the work will see it to completion. What I'm showing you today and what I'm showing you really all throughout the book of Philippians, I think it's really important that you realize we're looking into the mind of a genius. Paul is teaching us how to think about things. He's teaching us how to reframe our experiences, how to look at it through the lens of heaven. You know, when you, when you go out, when something's in process, okay, when the building project is the building project, I'm not allowed to, I have to put on a hard hat. I have to put on a hard hat to protect my head <laughs> when I'm walking around things are in process. And while you're in a process, you need a hard hat. You need to put on the right thing to protect your mind, to protect your thinking. You need to put on the joy hard hat Look, in the book of Philippians, Paul uses the word mind ten times. He tells the Philippians five times to think. He also uses the word remember. So there are 16 references. 16 in only four chapters. Sixteen references to the mind. This it, it leads Warren Wearsby to say this. The secret, listen, the secret of Christian joy is found in the way the believer thinks his attitudes. Philippians is a, listen to what he says, it's a Christian psychology book. It's not a shallow self-help book that tells the reader how to convince himself that everything's gonna be okay and it's all gonna be all right. Rather, it's a book that explains the mind of the believer that we must have if we're going to experience Christian joy in a world filled with trouble. You know, I, I have a friend, Andy Yarborough. He was with us in February. He's a clinical psychologist, And he said that the book of Philippians is one of the best psychology books that's ever been written. And he even, when he was here, he even mentioned in chapter four how Paul is teaching the Philippians to anchor their thoughts. He says, Think on these things, anchor your thoughts in what is lovely and pure and good. And he said, This is amazing because Paul is writing all of this before the age of neuroscience. He's writing all of this before now that we know all, this, all these things about neuroplasticity and how the brain works and how it functions. It's almost like what Paul is writing is inspired by the Holy Spirit or something. <laughs> he, he, it's, psychology is just catching up to what Paul, inspired by the Spirit, has already told us. It's our thought life. It's how we think. And as I read this book, I'm just amazed at Paul's mindset. I'm amazed and we're looking into the mind. We're looking at how a man thinks and he's teaching us how to think, how to process our pain. And if we can get this, we can have joy, a joy that will give us strength to get us to the end. So first is the process, joy in the process. Now, not just joy in the process, but now joy in the problem. Joy in the midst of problems. Joy in the midst of pain. Let's keep reading. Let's, let's go to verse 12. It says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. So that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard. To all the rest, that my imprisonment, that word is actually chains in the Greek, that my chains is, are for Christ." And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord, by my chains are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I'm put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely thinking, but thinking to afflict me in my chains. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in that, I rejoice. Let's talk about the problem that Paul is walking through. Okay, because Paul talks about joy a lot in this book. But Paul is in a very non-joyful place. Paul is in chains. He mentions it four times right here. I'm in chains. I am in chains. But yet he's speaking about joy. That tells me you can have joy In the problem. Now, when I say in the problem, we don't rejoice in problems. Problems stink. Nobody wants problems. Life happens. Things happen. And we don't like those things. Listen, if Paul was able to get out of those chains and walk free, he would have done it. We rejoice. He rejoices. He finds joy that even though he's in chains, God is causing things to happen even though he's in chains. So, listen, one of Paul's greatest desires, we know because we read it, He wanted to preach the gospel in Rome. Rome is the capital city of the great empire. He had written a book to the Romans, but he hadn't been there yet. He says it in the book of Romans. I look forward to coming to see you. I want to come, but he says Satan has prevented me. So Paul wants to go and he wants to preach the gospel in Rome. Paul thinks he's going to go be a preacher in Rome, but he ends up being a prisoner in Rome instead. He's falsely accused. While in Jerusalem, he gets arrested. And, you know, he was in prison for two years in a place called Caesarea. I've been there. It's beautiful, Caesarea by the sea. It's like, man, if I have to go to jail, I'll go to jail there. But (laughs) so he was there for two years. And then he gets shipped to Rome. As he's getting shipped to Rome, the ship crashes. And he's out at sea for a day and a half. I mean, imagine you floating out in the sea for a day and a half on a plank. That does not sound like a good time. He gets washed up on an island called Malta. He gets bitten by a really poisonous snake. I mean, Paul is having a time, okay? It's, it's, he gets bitten by a poisonous snake. He's there for three months. Finally, he makes it to Rome, and he's in Rome, and he's put, on, put in chains. But here he is writing this letter to the Philippians from Roman prison in chains, and he's rejoicing. He says, I rejoice in that, I rejoice. Yes, I will rejoice. <laughs> so, listen, the mind, right? It's all about the mind. Watch how Paul reframes his experience. He, his situation's not good. He doesn't like it. He doesn't want to be in chains. But he reframes it, and he finds joy in it. Listen, first, he, Paul's chains, listen, Paul's chains, he sees them as an opportunity for a partnership. That's what we find in verse 7. Paul talks about, he says, you guys are partakers with me of grace as I'm in my chains. Paul was in prison because he was preaching the gospel for the sake of the Philippians. So it's because of them he's in chains. (laughs) Okay. And the Philippians, in turn, what had they done? They had collected a sacrificial, over-the-top love offering to give to Paul. Listen, if you're in a Roman prison... This isn't America where if you go to prison, we give you three square meals a day and exercise time and all that stuff. No, if you're in a Roman prison, the only way you get your needs provided for is if someone from the outside provides for you. And the Philippians had taken up a sacrificial offering for Paul and they had sent it to Paul while he was in prison and had provided for his needs. So all of his needs were provided for. And so what Paul is saying is, look look what these chains have done. These chains have brought us into a fellowship together. I'm in chains because of you and you're sacrificing because of me. And now we're in this together. Listen to me. Nothing will bring two people together and form a bond like suffering together or walking through something together. When you've walked through some things with somebody, oh, that just brings that. It's like uh, being welded together, being soldered together, you know. I remember when Ashton and I were in Baton Rouge, Uh, we had some hard days. We had some homesick days. I remember we left our nice, spacious Georgia home, and we were living on the third floor of a small apartment with two little kids. And I just remember there was this long hallway from the car to the apartment, and we fondly called this hallway the Hall of Doom. The Hall of Doom, because it didn't matter how great the day was or how good everything was, Whenever we got to the Hall of Doom, one of the kids was going to have a monumental meltdown. And it just echoed in that hallway. It was just like <laughs> our neighbors probably thought that someone was being murdered in the hallway. I mean, just blood-curdling screams. And, you know, you, you're, you're trying to take groceries in, and there's a kid clinging to your leg, and you're just dragging them down the hallway, and they're screaming. And <laughs> there were some hard days. There were some hard times in Baton Rouge. But it was in those hard times, honestly, that really helped solidify our marriage. We look back on those hard times and we laugh and we make jokes about it. But it was in that hard time that a bond was forged on the inside of us. Paul was telling the Philippians, we're in this together. You are not alone and I am not alone. Hey, can I tell you something? Don't suffer in silence. Find someone to partner with you in hard times. Find a partner Chains are an opportunity for fellowship and partnership with people. And it's in those hard times where a bond is formed that can be won for a lifetime. That was what was going on with the Philippians here. Paul's chains were also an opportunity to advance the gospel. Did you catch that? He says, I want to let you know what has happened to me. Something has happened that's not good. I'm in chains. But these chains have caused the gospel to go forward. Paul says, what's happened to me has advanced the gospel. Now, listen to me. In America, we want the exact opposite of that. We want the gospel to advance our situation. <laughs> we serve Jesus because we can, it's like we can get a life upgrade. The gospel is some sort of life hack to give you the, the life you've always wanted. The good things, you've always wanted to serve Jesus and he'll make your wildest dreams come true. But Paul turns that idea on his head. Paul says, no, I want my situation to advance the gospel rather than the gospel advancing me. And that one subtle but important shift in thinking could be the difference between your joy and your despair. If you're waiting on Jesus to just give you everything you want, and give you your heart's greatest desires and make all your dreams come true, you're probably going to be sorely disappointed. But if you will live your life, surrender to Jesus, and you say, Jesus, I want whatever you want. My life is about you. I want whatever I'm walking through to advance your cause. I believe you will find a joy that is so much better than if you just got everything you wanted. So Paul is chained to a Roman guard. 24 hours a day. He's not chained to a wall. He's chained to a person. The shifts change every six hours. So that's four elite soldiers, the palace guard that is attached to Paul 24 hours a day. I mean, can you imagine if you were the prison guard? Imagine if you were attached to the apostle Paul for six hours. I mean, literally one of the most brilliant men to ever walk the face of the earth. I mean, for six hours, you're next to this guy, and he's just over there pontificating on justification by faith and going on and on about some guy named Jesus who's Lord, and Caesar's not really Lord. This is what's interesting. The palace guard, it's also known as the praetorium guard, was actually the most elite group of Roman soldiers who served as a special bodyguard for Caesar. This group had 9,000 elite soldiers. And sometimes they could even exert control over Caesar himself. So, in fact, that it was the Roman Praetorian Guard that had uh, assassinated Caligula and put Claudius on the throne. Uh, It was the Roman Guard who did this. And Paul was chained to one of these elite prison guards. And this (laughs) this is what Paul says to the Philippians. Guys, guys, what an opportunity. These guys think I'm a captive, but really... They have become my captive. They're a captive audience. I get to preach the gospel. And now because I'm preaching, I got a new guard every six hours. And because I have a new guard every six hours, he says the whole praetorium guard, the whole elite squad who protects Caesar, guess what? They've heard about Jesus because of my chains. (laughs) I wonder what situations you might be chained to today. What are some of the things that you didn't want to happen But they happened anyway, and you're stuck in a situation maybe. But what if that chain, what if being stuck is going to give you the opportunity to share the gospel? I recently visited one of our older members who had broken a hip, and she was in the hospital. This is terribly painful, terribly unwanted situation. But I tell you what, she told me every nurse, every doctor, every custodian, Whoever came in her room, guess what? They were going to hear about Jesus and they were going to hear about the crossing church. She told everybody that came in her room, what is that? That's using a chain to advance the gospel. Hey, maybe you're a, a mother of young children today. And the idea of having time to yourself seems like a distant dream. You can't even remember anymore what it was like to have time for yourself. You can't even go to the bathroom by yourself. (laughs) Because you know what? Motherhood is hard. It's rewarding. It's very rewarding. But it's also hard. Reminds me of Susanna Wesley. Susanna Wesley had 19 children. Nine of them died. Her husband would often leave her for long periods of time. She managed The entire household by herself. But Susanna Wesley decided, hey, this is my this is where I'm at. I'm not getting out of this situation. This is a hard situation. But here's what I'm gonna do. She would, every night, she would pick a kid. And that kid would get to sit on her lap and she would give that kid attention, and that kid would be discipled. And she would just go through a different night and she would disciple a kid. Every night she would disciple a kid. She was in a situation. She couldn't go out and travel and minister like her husband. She's at home with the kids. But she pours her life into those kids. And you want to know what? One of her kids was John Wesley. John Wesley would grow up to preach to over a million people in his lifetime. He sparked a great awakening in our nation. He's the father of the modern Methodist church. And if you want to know who the number one person in his life that poured into him, his spiritual advisor, it was his mother. She had another son named Charles Wesley. Charles Wesley wrote over nine Thousand hymns, many of them are still sung. Actually, today, a a Charles Wesley hymn is being sung somewhere right now in a church around the world, I promise you. So listen, you might feel stuck in a situation. You might feel chained in a situation, but don't let the situation be wasted. Use it for the glory of God. Use it to advance the kingdom. Paul's chains also were a cause for confidence. Paul's chains built confidence In Christ, Paul was showing the Philippians that even though he was chained, even though he was chained, the Word of God could not be chained. The chains were actually subverting Caesar, not the gospel, and not Paul. You can almost hear the smirk when he writes that the whole Praetorium Guard has come to realize that it wasn't Caesar who put him in those chains, but Christ put him in those chains. Paul starts out his letter by calling himself a bondservant or a slave of Christ. What does that mean? It means he is not a prisoner of Rome. He has made up in his mind he's a prisoner of Jesus Christ. Jesus owns his life. And you can't kill me, Caesar. You can't intimidate me because the truth is I died a long time ago. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ that lives in me. And the life which I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved and gave himself for me. So actually, Caesar, you done messed up when you put me in these chains. You done messed up, Aaron. You messed up, Caesar, by putting me in these chains. Because these chains have actually released the power of Christ in your own ranks. Imagine what he had done. And the gospel that had gone forth because of those chains, it gave him a great confidence in Christ. Here's my last point today. There's joy in the process. There's joy in problems. And Paul tells us there's joy in the person of Jesus. He says, I know that through your prayers, verse 19, and the help of the spirit of Jesus Christ, that this is going to turn out for my deliverance, as is my eager expectation and hope. That I will not be ashamed, but with full courage, now, as always, Christ being honored in my body, whether by life or death. Listen to what he says. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which, which it is, which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that's far better but to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith so that in me you may have ample cause to glorify in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Joy in the person of Jesus. Listen, what do you do with a guy like Paul? You can't keep a guy like Paul down. Paul, if you, if you don't stop, you know, you can threaten him. Paul, if you don't stop telling people about Jesus, we're going to throw you in prison. Paul responds, oh, would you? That, I mean, that would be great. I've got some letters I've been needing to write. I've been needing to catch up on some things. I need to reach out to some churches. I've been needing to write to the Ephesians, the Philippians, the Colossians, Philemon, Philemon, however you want to say it. Would you? I'd have time. I could catch up on some stuff if I were in jail. Hey, Paul, stop preaching or we're going to kill you. Oh, would you? That would be great. You know, you guys are nice and all, and these chains are great, but, but my treasure is not here on this earth anyways. Death isn't a state of existence for me. It's just a doorway to get home. I've been really wanting to see Jesus face to face. Actually, it's better. It's better for me. Would you just go ahead and so I can go see Jesus? Or, you know, hey, Paul, we're just, you know what? We're going to let you go, brother, because you are relentless. Nobody wants to be your guard anymore because you won't stop talking about Jesus and they're stuck to you for six days. But you know what, Paul? Just go. Just get out of prison. Would you just go? Oh, thanks. That would be great. Yeah, I need to go visit Timothy and Titus and see how their churches are doing. I need to impart a spiritual gift to them. I've been meaning to get to Spain, that trip I've always wanted to take to Spain to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. Would you... What do you do with a guy like that? (laughs) In every situation, he seems to find joy. How can he have joy? Here's the secret. Here's the sauce for Paul. He says, whether in life or in death, I have one goal, and that is Christ, to glorify Christ. Listen, Paul's life did not center around having a better life. Paul's life centered around Christ. If your goal in life is just to have a better life, a pain-free, easy-going, comfortable life, then you are aiming too small. You're missing the mark. God wants to call you to a higher calling. He wants to give you a transcendent purpose, something bigger than yourself. He wants to give you a mission and a cause to lay your life down for, a life centered on Jesus Christ and His kingdom. Oh, you see, culture of the world, their goal is too low. It's too small. The ultimate goal in culture is live your truth. Speak your truth. You do you. You know what? All that is centered around one person. Why? O you. It's you. Paul said in the last days, people will become lovers of self. It's put yourself first, put your needs first, put your desires first, put your pleasure and your satisfaction first. That's what led C.S. Lewis to say, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but actually too weak. He says, we're half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at sea. We are far too easily pleased. And that's what Paul would say to us today. Hey, if you want joy, let me tell you how to have joy. He said this, to live is Christ. Oh man, life is about Christ. And to die, oh, that's gain. Because you get to go be and see Christ. Let me ask you a question. If you could fill in those blanks today, how would you fill those in? To live is blank. To die is blank. What's your answer there today? Is To live is success. To die is loss. Or is it to live is following your heart. To die is not having control to live is my children to die is for them to experience any hardship or pain in life to live is money or my career to die is to leave it all behind to live is to be respected and revered to die is to be looked down upon forgotten to live is me and what i want to die is surrender I don't know what goes in those blanks for you today, but until we get those blanks right, our joy will always be conditional. It will never be eternal. And that is far much less than what Jesus offers us today. He offers us joy in the process, joy in the problems, and joy in the person of Jesus Christ today. Make him your everything, and you can have joy in all situations. Father, I pray for your people today. I pray that they would have great joy Lord, I believe there's someone watching. They are chained to a situation that they never wanted to be in. Lord, I pray that you would somehow show them how this situation can be used for your glory. And I pray that they would rejoice, not in the situation, but that they would rejoice in the Lord, whose promises are faithful and true, who's trustworthy, who we can put our hope in. I pray for those in the midst of sorrow today. We don't, we don't ignore sorrow. Paul himself said, I am pierced with sorrow, yet rejoicing. So it's both, it's not either or, it's both and. Even in sorrow, we can rejoice in the Lord. I pray that you would help us to reframe our situations in our lives so that we can have the joy strength that we need. In Jesus' mighty name I pray, amen, amen. All right. Thank you for being here today. It's going to be a fun time of joy as we're headed into the spring and summer season. Hey, come to church. We'll see you at 9 and 11 o'clock next Sunday morning.